Almighty. Oh. Hello, you last of the blue hot ramas. This is your squeezably soft host of this here thing, Matthew Sanborn Smith, and his Mr. Whipple Wiping Podcast, Beware the Hairy Mango. Have we got a show for you. It's not a good one, but we do have a show for you. Hang on to your undies, if not your ovaries. We're changing it up a bit for our next few episodes, my hallowed wieners, doing a longish four-part epic tale of buckled swash by guys who don't wash. That's right, folks, it's pirates. This one's going out to me hearties. Please enjoy my attempt at a half a dozen different English accents sense for each and every character depending on my mood memory and current state of health i swear i didn't notice the similarity in titles with a space epic by a certain mr adams until long after i was done at any rate preferably measured in knots i give you the careerist's guide to the sea part one the careerist's guide to the sea part one by matthew sanborn smith Congratulations on your decision to embark on a thrilling career at sea. The first step is, of course, getting your foot on deck, and nothing will get you on board faster than looking the part. Red and white are definitely the power colors here as they evoke thoughts of blood and bone that only the most worldly man would have had the chance to wear. You'll never go wrong with a loose-fitting blouse featuring these colors, especially in thick, alternating horizontal stripes. Though it seems cliché, this basic tells your captain, I really know my way around. A solid color pant with matching bandana rounds out the ensemble without pulling attention away from your bare midriff. And remember, leave your shoes at home. Even the most hardened salt will find himself cringing at such a fashion faux pas. From the Careerist Guide to the Sea. The stolen clothes of a sailing man led Cade Protheridge into his first real profession. Already on the run from the Count of Court, he hopped aboard the first ship out of Ganther to avoid being found out by the owner of his new outfit. As soon as he stepped from the gangplank onto the deck of the highly exceptional, a harsh voice said, We're full up and about to set sail! It was a woman in full piecemeal regalia of the officers of seven different city-states. She was the most important-looking person on the deck, for what that was worth. Are you the, uh, lady of the house? he asked. She was a big one, at least two of him wide and half a head taller. She reminded him of his mother when he was nine. With two great strides, she eclipsed the rest of the world. If by lady of the house you mean captain of this here ship, then you'd be correct. However, as you seem to be remarkably stupid, I'll wager you didn't mean that. Now normally I'd gladly soil my own hands to grab you by belt and jacket and introduce you to that sparkling blue bay down there, but it's a fine sword you've got and we're headed through treacherous waters. Sides, she said, looking him up and down. We won't have to dress you. So you're hiring me on? I'll let Mr. Rowe decide. He'll be about directly. You hold down those boards you're standing on until that time. I swear I'll carry out that assignment to the best of my ability, Captain... Syrup! Captain Syrup! Captain Syrup, he shouted. She moved on, barking orders as she went. A pudgy old man approached Cade as the ship got underway, which seemed to make the whole concept of the interview a moot point. The man carried a short stack of documents held to a piece of wood by a pair of sea clamps. Mr. Rowe, I presume. Cade Prothridge, Cade shouted, throwing out his hand. Mr. Rowe seemed not to notice, so Cade moved his hand into the field of vision of Rowe's unpatched eye. Rowe still didn't seem to notice. How much do you know about sailing? Mr. Rowe asked. Very little, Cade admitted. But I'm a fast learner. Mm, everybody's a fast learner. Rowe made a note on the top document. And I suppose you're a people person, too. Absolutely, replied Cade. Where do you see yourself in five years? Despot of a small country preparing for a brutal program of imperialism. 
Roe perked up at this. Ah, a go-getter, eh? Previous occupation? Thief. I I mean farmer. Farmer. Self-employed, Roe muttered as he wrote. The sun was halfway to the top of the sky, and Cade was disappointed to see that there wasn't nearly as much shade here as in Ganther's alleys. I'd be interested in hearing about the benefits package a large organization like yours might be able to provide, particularly life insurance. Roe folded his arms with the clipboard pressed to his side. He looked impressed by the common-sense question. Well, Cade, my boy, as you well know, the careers we've chosen are in a high-risk industry, and although we take care to maintain all of the most common safety practices, accidents do happen. We provide each of our employees with a golden earring so that, God forbid, if anything should happen to you, payment for a decent burial is right there on your head for the lucky person who discovers your remains. Hmm, Cade said, nodding thoughtfully. And does the price for this earring come out of my pay? That's the beauty part, Rose said, tapping him in the chest. On most ships, you'd have to cover a percentage of it yourself. But not here. We're a privateer with much more flexible systems in place. We're living the paradigm shift. You see that box over there? Cade saw a lot of boxes. Crates that had been strapped down to the deck, probably because the hold was full. Yes, that's the box you're always hearing about. That one right over there. Now let me ask you this, lad. Are we inside of that box? Um, I I don't know. I, I could check. No, son. We're not in that box. We're not, are we? Roe shook his head back and forth slowly until Cade followed suit. No, that's right. So it is therefore an impossibility for us to think inside of that box, isn't it then? Yes. Yes. We not only think outside of the box, we eat, sleep, and powder our noses outside of the box. Cade's mind had now been thoroughly blown. More than anything else, he wanted to look inside of that box. For instance, Roe continued, as I was saying, on this here ship, we help keep the cost of life insurance low by reclaiming the earrings of former employees before the vultures can swallow them. Now that was something Cade could understand. Hey, hey, where do I sign? Cade said with a comfortable laugh that Mr. Rowe was happy to share. Cade wiped the sweat from his brow. It's kind of hot out here. Is it too early to remove my shirt? Not until the singing starts, Rowe warned with a waggling finger. Tell me, how do you react in high-pressure situations? I couldn't say. I've never been in one. Rowe paused, chewed upon the end of his fountain quill, and gazed into the distance. Could mean brushes with death just don't phase him, Roe mumbled. Either that or he's a mama's boy. Um, I can hear you, you know. Roe screamed and drew his sword in a heartbeat, lunging at Cade. Cade dropped backwards like the limbo messiah, and his blade was in his hand so quickly that Roe hadn't even seen him draw it. Cade lunged upwards with his blade and ran Roe through the abdomen. Roe's eyes bulged, and he heaved a heavy breath before crumpling to the deck. Cade withdrew his sword, looked around to see if anyone noticed. Roe rolled onto his belly with a sloppy moan and wrote, Good in high-pressure situations. Cade was stunned. He'd never been that good in his life. Hell, he'd never been as good as Roe was just now. That man could really take a sword. But it was the sword that had made Cade look so good. The sword had done the work, even pushing him backwards to dodge Roe's blow. No wonder the Count's men had been so eager to steal it back. A skinny man with short hair and a dark blue vest came over and knelt beside Roe, ignoring Cade. He had a needle and thread in one hand. All the time with this, the skinny man grumbled. Take a deep breath, Mr. Roe. You're going to feel a bit of discomfort. 
And with that, he forced the hand with the needle and thread into Roe's mouth and pushed. Cage stared aghast as the skinny man's arm sunk further and further into Roe's mouth and the old sailor struggled in vain. Wrist, forearm, elbow, and onward until, with a wriggle, the shoulder went in, clearing Roe's teeth. The skinny man's other hand burrowed its way into the open wound. This was magic. The young and provincial Cade had never seen anything like it. Rose bloody midriff undulated like that of a hemorrhaging belly dancer under the care of the magician's nimble digits. In a few minutes, the hand in the wound reappeared and he manipulated the needle with inhuman speed. The red metal sliver dipped in and out of the old man's flesh until the otherwise fatal wound was completely stitched up from the inside. You might want to consider getting out of human resources, Mr. Rowe, the magician said. He rolled Rowe onto his side and repaired the exit wound in the same manner. When he was done, the man in the blue vest slowly drew his arm from Rowe's mouth and stood looking Cade over. Cade's hands clamped over the mouth he couldn't close. Don't worry, the surgeon said. He'll see worse before this trip's through. The mouth isn't the only way into the belly. And leaving Cade disgusted and tightly clenched, he made his way below deck. The rest of the crew were still going about their business as if nothing had happened. Cade looked down at Roe, who panted heavily, his body soaked with sweat and blood. Weakly, Roe's eyes opened. He blinked back the harsh sunlight and said hoarsely, There'll be a ninety-day probationary period, after which time you'll undergo a review conducted by the captain and myself. Passing that, you'll be taken on as a regular member of the crew, with a full salary and benefits package. If you fail, however, you'll be thrown overboard, most likely to your death. Do you agree to these terms? Okay. When's lunch? Roe tried to pull himself up. He stopped short with a grunt. His wide eyes betrayed the unexpected results of his strain, and he fell back, head-meeting deck with a sudden thunk. One o'clock, he muttered. Dress is casual. Great. What are my orders? Find a buddy and help me to my bunk. Right-o. Excuse me, he shouted to the hard-working sailors. Is there a buddy on deck? And like that, Cade was a sailor. Sit yourself down and wait impatiently for more than a fortnight for part two of this tale and beware the Harry Mango episode 90. Same mang time, same mang channel. If this part made you disgusted and tightly clenched, you can smother it and other parts right here in the future at BewareTheHarryMango.com. Scream out your indifferent vibrations in all caps in the comments for this post or capri-mail me from the Tyranian Sea in those short Mary Tyler Moore pants at Matthew at BewareTheHarryMango.com or just Rosemary mail me at BewareTheHarryMango at gmail.com. Of all the SFs in the world, SFs signal.com is the SFinist, or Sfinest, maybe. Whichever, it's good. Go there, soak up the SF signals until you bloat up and burst and send your SF and spores across the planet and make those triffids look like a bunch of amateurs. Give a little bit of me to someone you love, perhaps a finger to start off with, and tell them I'm full of non-essential vitamins and minerals such as carborundum and vitamin cheese. Or send them a link to the show by email, which is like an IV drip by way of earbuds. They'll wonder what they did without me, whereas I'll wonder what they did with me. Tweet all over your sheets while fantasizing about following me at twitter.com slash upwithgravity. It's the next best thing to love. Just make sure that you do that load of laundry before your mom gets up. Touch me in the donate button, then just walk away. After I've done my load of laundry, I promise you I'll funnel all of that money to myself through an American bank account which funds a group of rebels which go by the name of My Children. It's all on the down and down. This podcast crackles like electric aluminum foil that's been lightly dusted with carborundum and a freshly ground Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share like 3.0 imported license. <gasps> 
This is the light and flaky Matthew Sanborn Smith, sorry about my skin's a bit dry, reminding you that you can't get blood out of a stone, although you may be able to tap Mick Jagger for a little formaldehyde. Always picking on the stones. Good night. Woo!